Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster and it's certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, you're listening to the Times Redbox Politics Podcast with me, Patrick McGuire. Yes, yes, Matt Chorley is still hunting for fossils in Lyme Regis. But today we spoke to an all-star panel of Labour spinners on whether they should fear Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak or neither. But first up, we talked to our columnist panel, Robert Crampton and Martha Gill. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, time to chew over all the big stories uh, Robert, what are you making of the Tory leadership race thus far? Uh, Did you watch the debate last night? I didn't. I, 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 I didn't watch it, I'm afraid. Sorry, I'm just being thrown by the uh, the question about... I'm trying to work out when the national speed limit was introduced. <laughs> it was far it, more interesting. And uh, indeed what it was. Well, while you, it's while a, you, Yeah, it's not an edifying process. They never are. While uh, you, exactly. While you scratch your chin, let's talk <laughs> about, Martha, your column on Thatcher mania and whether it is the answer to Tory woes. In a, in a word... Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, you know, you make quite an interesting point, which is that, you know, as much as we're all rinsing Liz Truss for trying to emulate Margaret Thatcher, you make, I think, the quite fair point that if you're a Tory woman running for the top job, you can't help but be compared to her, can you? No, you, you have two options as a Tory woman uh, running for the top job. You're <laughs> either like Thatcher, which is good, until you slip up somewhere in your imitation act, in which case you're really <laughs> arrogant for having ever considered yourself to be anything like Thatcher. <laughs> or you're not like Thatcher, which everyone then says sort of sorrowfully, as if <laughs> uncovering some deep flaw in you uh, that, that you're no Thatcher. Um, uh, you know, uh, this, this race is, is, is uh, become very like Thatcher. It started with Liz Truss, but, you know, there's an argument to be said that Liz Truss never wanted the comparison with Thatcher. You know, the main things that people have 
have said about her um, relating her to Thatcher is that she wore a furry Russian hat mm. in Russia, and so did Thatcher. <laughs> Rode but, a tank, but, of course, know, as well. Uh, yeah, the tank. But but you know, uh, during the same Moscow visit, Ben Wallace was wearing a furry hat mm. in Russia. I wore and, a furry hat when I went Thatcher, to Russia. Well, exactly. It's the sort of stupid thing that yeah. Brits do. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, on warm days in Russia. Sorry, Robert, I didn't mean to call you stupid. No, it was. It was, uh, it was it's a fun thing to do, right? And then. And then, uh, you know, military posing is not virgin territory for politicians. If you asked to go on a tank, most politicians would go on the tank. And that's what <laughs> Trust said she was doing. And then this um, pussy bow blouse, um, you know, plenty of women have these. It's sort of the option if you want to look, you know, smart, but yet feminine, whatever female politicians have to do. Uh, and, and Trust has denied dressing up as such so yeah. i think that that tells us all we have to all we really need to know and of course Theresa may was compared to Thatcher. it's a very small sample size isn't it i mean any in terms of those two female leaders of the tory party and nobody is going to invite a comparison with Theresa may at no, this point are they no one thing that maybe is worth saying that hasn't been made much of i think the tory party should be congratulated on especially in, in uh, contrast to the labor party so called progressive party that they have now uh, they always like to be their third female leader, third female prime minister of the Labour Party, yet to have one, if you don't count Margaret Beckett, who mm. was there very briefly. And that the other candidate is from a so-called ethnic minority. I mean, that's that's pretty good. And it's and it's a tribute to us, I suppose, as a society, that nothing much has been made of that. But it's worth commenting on, I think. No, it, it definitely is. And, you know, David Cameron will perhaps leave two legacies. The first is Brexit, which he mm -hmm. never wanted to achieve anyway, and has destroyed the broad-tent Tory coalition he built. But it's also mm. creating a remarkably diverse field of contenders. Robert, not mm. that I want to make, uh, you know, disobliging assumptions about your age, but I'm assuming <laughs> you lived through the original Margaret Thatcher. I did. What did you I, make of the remake? I, I'm 57. I was born in 1964. So, yeah, I was 15 when, uh, or just coming up 15 when Thatcher was elected, 1979. I remember it very well. How does the remake compare? Uh, I've got a little bit more time for Liz Truss than, I, I don't know if I'm a member of the uh, commentariat. I kind of slightly at arm's length. Associate member. Associate, Associate member. member. Candidate member. <laughs> they used to say the, the Kremlin. Uh, and... I was listening to your guide in, up in uh, talking about voters in Stoke, and I can totally relate to that. I've got uh, a slight class prejudice in favour of the person who went to a state school as opposed to the one who went to Winchester. Well, indeed, anyway, indeed, you, you, I can uh, compare you and Liz Truss in that you know you you're from a slightly posh suburb of Hull, aren't you? That's right. And yeah. she's from a, a posh suburb of Leeds. Yeah, and so I got yeah. entirely what she was saying about her school, and I got entirely what her critics were saying about her school. In that, I went to an okay, comprehensive, and you could say. It had low expectations of people, but then you could say a lot of people went there and did okay. I would say they didn't do as okay as they should have done. Uh, so I related to what she said about uh, her lead, around her school in Leeds. It sounded quite similar to my school, which was just because you're saying somewhere isn't terrible doesn't mean it couldn't have been better. Yeah, and not that, and you uh, know, it's all relative. It's obviously yeah. nowhere near as good as Winchester, where Rishi Sunak went. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, do you think, Martha, that Liz Truss. Uh, do you think, you know, from what you've seen thus far, this is Liz Truss's to lose now? Despite all the uh, commentary about her as Thatcher and, uh, you know, her slightly ungainly presentation? Yeah, I mean, well, that's what the uh, the, the betting um, companies are saying. I mean, all the money is, 70% of it is on, uh, is on trust. Uh, so it does seem like, uh, and, you know, it's obviously the membership that are electing her. She's always been a favourite. Uh, with the members 
and um yeah, it, it very much is is um, hers to lose. And you can see that in Rishi Sunak's attitude. It seems panicky now, mm. right? You, you had that debate on Monday where he was accused of mansplaining because of his aggressive attitude in the debate. He was really going for it in a way that kind of made him look quite bad. But there was a sense of desperation there. He's now uh, U-turned on, on one of his um, policies. He's promising big tax cuts on VAT and so and which is something that he was previously arguing was um, completely irresponsible mm. so uh, y you can kind of see that Rishi Sunak is acting like an underdog and that, trying yeah. to pull this back his way the VAT U-turn is, is, uh, is game over I would think well, don't you? Well, Tory, I mean, Tory been, members don't trust him anyway. No, you've been Chancellor for what? How long? Two years? Two and a half uh, years. Yeah, two and a half years. And you're now saying that you would do something that you didn't do and you said was... That uh, he expressed he warned would be a bung to the wealthy yeah. and now so is... Uh, that's that, I would say. That is indeed that. Now let's <laughs> move on to a subject that the Tory leadership candidates haven't really spoken about in much detail. Robert, you're looking very tanned. I am. If I Thank may you. pay you a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Tanned but remarkably not burnt given that you've spent however long in the south of France in... 40 degree heat yeah i was there for a couple of weeks i got my i know you say everyone's away well i i'm only here because i've already been away uh i get it in early and yeah goodness it was hot uh 42 degrees i think it got to 40 degrees here uh probably worse here to be in the city in a way than 42 degrees in the countryside not doing very much but uh that said i mean there are, these are first world problems i mean let's mm. let's prefer i mean there was algae in the swimming pool patrick for one thing that's disgusting i know you'll so, have to follow you have to fire your servants yeah so just to put that in context but yes it was very hot it's too hot and it's global warming obviously uh i'd bought a house in the south of france i didn't buy a house in the sahara desert but it's now kind of looking like that feeling like that year after year i'm gonna to have to start going in may i think well i was gonna say you make a modest proposal in mm. your times column today which is moving the date of the conventional summer holiday martha what do you make of that are you going away this <laughs> summer are you uh, worried about burning to a crisp yeah i've got i'm going to a friend's wedding in spain in the mid, middle of Ouch. august oh no <laughs> it's gonna be absolutely yeah. horrific <laughs> um well of course it's gonna be lovely but i'm sure you can be a very uh, welcome guest if any, of us, <laughs> if any of us are gonna survive i particularly don't do very well in heat i'm sort of thinking about yeah or, or, or swap the convention about where we go for summer maybe maybe you know up north a bit oh. sort of the outskirts <laughs> of scotland i went to sky uh, or i went to sky last summer it was lovely what about, it was midges? Cool what about the midges though? oh yeah the midges were yeah. a problem yeah. allow me allow me to make a representation for southport my hometown yeah. miles of golden sands the uh, longest oh. no the second longest pier in the country the oldest cast iron pier in the country Birthplace of AJP Taylor, Lee mm. Mark, Red Rum. I could go on, but I oh, won't. I, oh, I could go with Bridlington. You could. David Hockney. Uh, I saw Elvis Costello there once in 1981. Did you? Quite a nice beach. You know, yeah. you can cycle directly from Southport to Hull now on a special trail. We should do it sometime. Yeah, we should. What a good idea. We should. Every yeah. great times toothpiece if Nicola Gill is yeah. listening. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> She's on holiday, but she will be listening. Is she? Yeah, well, yeah. again, everybody's on holiday, which, you know, I pity them because they will have missed. England's Lionesses oh, reaching yeah, their first final in 13 years. They cruised to it and they crushed an otherwise impressive uh, Sweden mm. by four goals to nil. Let's hear a bit of that commentary from last night. Rousseau, save, brilliant save by Linda. Back here. Oh, what mm. on earth has just happened? <laughs> a back hill from Russo. Instinctive. Martha, were you watching last night? Um, I I wasn't watching the whole thing, but I did. I you can't you couldn't escape the clips of Alessia Russo's 
back heel nutmeg goal, <laughs> which was absolutely amazing. Um, uh, and I saw it online, and I and I saw I saw various other cut commentary. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was amazing. And and, and do you think this is uh, this can only be a good thing if we're thinking about? You know the culture of football and representation of you know sporting women in uh, on on the national stage. It's something we often overlook, especially because the culture of football is so blokey otherwise. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's interesting. There was a golden age of women's football in the nineteen twenties. Mm. Matches attracted thousands of spectators, but then the Football Association banned uh, women's football on grounds used by its member clubs until 1970 from mm. 1921. Mm. Um, and so you can see there's there's a sort of history of uh, discrimination that women are fighting back against. And, uh, you know, this can only help, you know, especially if they beat Germany in the final. And also a sign that I think we're getting more equality is you started hearing about BAPS, which is boyfriends and partners <laughs> of... <laughs> These footballers, uh, which which I love, and I think we should. I, I want to hear more about. You've been watching, Robert? Yeah, I have, and uh, I think it's been it's great. And I think that uh, to give ourselves a plug, I think the Times coverage has been great. The way that uh, uh, the sports pages have really thrown themselves into it, uh, which hasn't always been the case. Well, it hasn't been the case in the past. Well, it's a classic case of if you build it, well, quite. they will come. Because yes. you know, the more I see. You know, in the Times and also on the BBC Sport website, when I yeah. see coverage of the Women's Super League, for instance, I, I'm, a, I'm aware of yeah, it. Yeah, I'm getting interested in it now, and I was in a way that I wasn't a year or so ago, and uh, that it's it's great and it's long overdue. Uh, so yeah, nothing not to like, uh, and if, apart from if we don't beat Germany or France in the final, uh, we can all get behind a bit <laughs> of anti-French and German jingle. It's perfect, can't we? That was Robert Crampton and Martha Gilder on Thatcher and Overheating on Holiday. Up next, how Labour should fight the next PM with Peter Mandelson, John McTurnan and Aisha Hazarika. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
You're listening to the Times Red Box Politics Podcast. Now it's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Well, the Tory party leadership race rattles on with Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak battling for the top job. Of course, yesterday, YouGov snap polling suggested that Truss is far more likely to be seen as in touch with ordinary people and more likeable than Rishi Sunak. However, on the matter of who looks more prime ministerial, that crucial X factor, the candidates are tied. Whoever is elected in September, though, as the new Conservative leader, will be leading the party into the next general election. That's if they don't get rid of them in the intervening two years. Unless an earlier one is called, the next election isn't due until January 2025. They can go as long as they like on that one. But what of the opposition? What of the leader they will be facing at that election to Keir Starmer? Who do Labour want as the next Prime Minister? And how should they oppose them? Is there a risk as people used to say of John Smith and Neil Kinnock, that the party will get complacent and think it's just a case of one more heave. Well, it should be said that I've been speaking to a lot of Labour MPs in recent weeks, and most of them take the same view as Chris Bryant, Labour MP for the Ronda and Chair of the Committee on Standards and Privileges. I asked him yesterday on Times Radio who he thinks of the two candidates would be the most challenging for Labour. Well, one of them is hopelessly out of touch with how ordinary people live their lives. And the other is as mad as a box of frogs. You can take your pick. Well, I wish Chris would tell us what he really thinks once in a while. God, I hate when politicians don't give a straight answer. Anyway, uh, a week or so ago, me and Time's colleagues spoke to a source close to Keir Starmer, a very optimistic close source, to Keir, uh, source close to Keir Starmer, and a few shadow cabinet ministers. And this is what they had to say on the shape of the race. He always felt that with Boris in place, Labour would end up losing. Despite the sleaze, he thought that by 2024, it would have faded into the background and Labour would struggle to win back the seats in the North and Midlands that it lost in 2019. That's now changed. It's blue on blue and that's great for us. We just have to leave them to it. It's so hard to see how they reunite after this. The great thing about this campaign is that basically every candidate accepts our economic frame. The economy has not performed as well over the past 12 years as it should have done. They are going to tear themselves apart more brutally than we ever could. She's harder to attack as a typical Tory. He got fined for Partygate and his wife was a non-dom. Really, none of them scare me. And that's before the cost of living crisis really even bites. Well, regular listeners to this show may remember that it's not often that uh, people like me, Matt Chorley, Henry Zeffman and others in the Times lobby team speak to shadow cabinet ministers and get um, that unfamiliar emotion from them, optimism. But that's exactly what Labour are feeling. But are they right to do so? And which of the two candidates would pose the biggest threat to them at the next election? Well, YouGov have polled this question exclusively for this show. So without further ado, let's speak to Patrick English, uh, Associate Director at The Pollster and friend of the show. Morning, Patrick. Good morning. How are you doing? All the better for speaking to you as ever. Now, what are the top lines of this polling? What do Labour voters think of the two candidates? Yes, so we've done some polling where we've asked almost 5,000 Great British adults what they think of the two candidates, whether they have a favourable or unfavourable opinion. And that's what we consider the best gauge right now as to who is going to be the sort of the biggest electoral force, who's going to be the most popular among the public if and when they come to power. And what we found is that both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are not very popular at all. They have a net favourability score, so the percentage of people that say they think favourably of them minus the percentage of things they think unfavourably 
comfortably of around minus 30 points. Compare that to Boris Johnson, minus 45. Compare that to Keir Starmer, minus 18. Now, on the question of Labour voters, both of them are equally unpopular. Again, they're down at about minus 60. So incredibly unpopular ratings for both candidates. So if I was Labour looking at this right now, I wouldn't be too scared that either Rishi Sunak nor Liz Truss are going to come in and take away the current Labour voters. Well, that's a gloomy outlook for both of them. Any silver linings for either one in the polling? Yes, there are indeed. So because we have such a large sample size, we're able to dig down into some of these people who have transferred across parties between the last two elections or between the last election and now. The crucial swing voters, yeah. Yes, exactly, the swing voters. And what we found is that Rishi Sunak definitely has an edge among swing voters. So among those who voted Labour in 2017 and then voted Conservative in 2019, Rishi Sunak's net favour score is minus six. Compared to Liz Truss, She's on minus 19. So Rishi Sunak is considerably popular. They're not popular still, but Rishi Sunak certainly has an edge. Equally, among those who voted Conservative in 2019 and are now telling us that if an election were held today, they would vote Labour, Rishi Sunak's figure is minus 25. So not brilliant. However, Liz Truss is all the way down on minus 45. So in all, we can conclude that among those swing voters, Rishi Sunak, is more popular than Liz Truss. And just briefly, we know that Rishi Sunak has a high name recognition. Liz Truss, as I imagine, is improving with every day, but she's much less well-known among the public. Do her ratings have more to fall or more scope to change because of that? Yes, that's exactly right. So Liz Truss has around about probably between a quarter to 30% of people at the moment who don't really know who she is. Compared to Rishi Sunak, that's about 15%. So kind of double, really, we're looking at. So certainly Liz Truss has room to grow in either direction. But I wouldn't expect that to shift too, too, too much. Uh, If we look at the people who do know them, they're equally unpopular among all voters. And I don't think we should expect too much of a differential among those who haven't yet heard of Liz Truss, that suddenly we should see her breaking in one direction or another. Well, so varying shades of unpopularity there, but Sunak edging it among the crucial swing voters. Thanks very much, Patrick, from one Patrick to another. That was Patrick English, Associate Director at YouGov. Now, what do the Labour Party think and what should they do? I've spoken to an all-star panel of spinners to find out who they think is their best bet for winning the next general election and what Keir Starmer and the party should do to oppose them. Early this morning, I caught up with Lord Mandelson, Peter Mandelson, former Labour Director of Communications, new Labour grandee and former Cabinet Minister. I don't think we have anything to fear from either of them. I mean, they're hardly, they're hardly political heavyweights, either of them. And during the course of the campaign so far, Liz Truss has successfully turned Sunak into a sort of totally unreconstructable posh boy who has you know, driven the country into recession by irresponsibly raising everyone's taxes while protecting and securing his own family's finances. That's what she's done to him. And Rishi Sunak has turned trust into an economic ignoramus who wants to splash tens of billions of pounds in unfunded giveaways and put up everyone's interest in mortgage rates. So, I mean, as a result, I don't think either has credibility with the voting uh, uh, public. I mean, when they're not taking lumps out of each other, they're busy trashing the Tories' record of, of 12 years in government without, I have to say, without achieving a single thing during that time, apart from taking Britain out of the European Union. And if you have any doubt about that, you just had to listen to 
Kwasi Kwarteng on Times Radio uh, this morning. I mean, he said that Britain's currently uh, on on course to low growth and stagnant wages. He said we want a low growth and low tax and high growth economy. And at the moment, we have the opposite. I mean, that's an astonishing assault to hear from a senior cabinet minister on his own government. I mean, he may think that he's just shafting Sunak, but actually he's shafting the whole government and its economic uh, record. And I think it just shows how four terms of Tory government and successive Tory prime ministers over the last decade has left the country, I mean, completely ill-equipped to enable us to deal with the challenges that we face. You've been here before, though, with multiple Labour leaders after several turns of unpopular Tory government and Labour have still managed to lose in situations like this. How do you think, how can Labour avoid that pitfall? Oh, you just have to keep raising your level of ambition as the coming election approaches, raising your game and making sure that we're not just sort of perfecting our attack lines on the Tories uh, and carping at the Tories, but showing that you know what we will do instead. I mean, as the election approaches, Patrick, I mean, we know what the Tories will try and do. They'll try and repeat the Boris Johnson trick of representing themselves uh, as change from uh, the previous years of, of Tory government. Uh, uh, and at the next election, they'll be seeking a fifth term, you know, Tory government. But I think most people will ask what on earth the point of that would be. I mean, they are so washed up. They're so exhausted. And that's why they're flopping about, attacking each other uh, and their own government. Now, in a sense, you know, they're doing Labour's job uh, for us, but it simply isn't enough for Labour to rely on that. You know, Labour, over the next one or two years before the election, has got to seize the mantle of change and renewal, because that's what the country is crying out for. I mean, yes, we need to give the Tories a, a hard time, uh, but they should be, uh, the Labour front bench should be concerned less with the, as I say, the right attack lines on the Tories and more with the modernising, mobilising agenda that a Labour government uh, uh, would uh, pursue. We need, in other words, to continue building Labour, you know, into a government in waiting and not just a, a party that's a good opposition. Uh, I think the Tories are doing uh, a good job for us, in a sense, by showing that the alternative that the country desperately needs, but we have to earn every vote, and we do that only uh, by showing uh, a a very, very good analysis, a diagnosis of the country's ills, and setting out a programme to address those ills and to to make it stronger as a country in the future. Perhaps if Liz Truss wins and interest rates do go up to 7%, 8%, this question will answer itself because as you'll know Black Wednesday was the point from which John Major and his polling never recovered but how tricky will it be do you think for Labour to fight a Tory Prime Minister who is promising a raft of tax cuts or is the is the rest of the economic outlook so bad that it will be a a bit of an open goal? I don't think that any uh, Tory Prime Minister will be able to offer, as you say, a raft of uh, tax cuts. And if they do, uh, they will have to explain how they're going to fund them. And I don't think uh, they'll be able to do that. But secondly, if they're offering tax cuts, they'll have to show uh, in what areas of government spending 
uh, they're going to make the cuts. Is it going to be in the National Health Service? Is it going to be in schools and other public services? Is it going to be in the defence of the country? Look, we are in a very, very tight spot, you know, as a country in so many different ways. And just jumping on a soapbox and shouting about reducing taxes may please some in the Tory ranks. Uh, it may be what they want to hear, uh, but the country's got its head screwed on. They know that there are no simple uh, solutions uh, to the economic situation uh, that we are in, uh, and they know darn well uh, that simply reducing, shaving sort of bits and pieces of different taxes you know, is not the magic key uh, to enable us to turn a corner uh, as a country, which we desperately need to do. And if you could just pick one of the two candidates for Labour to fight the next election, Peter Mandelson, even if they are both, in your view, ill-equipped to challenge uh, Labour and face the challenges the country faces, who would it be? Who is your? Uh, who Honestly, is more beatable? I, Patrick, I am happy for Labour to take on either. I mean, Sunak offers the same old, same old. He's a sort of leave it to market forces Tory left over from, you know, the 1980s Thatcher-Reagan era. And Trust, I think, would make any wildcard promise to get elected. I mean, she's the Tories' equivalent of Jeremy Corbyn, as far as I can see. So, you know, let them... We'll take either of them on and beat them, in my view. We've just heard from Lord Mandelson on why he thinks the answer is neither. Now, let's speak to two people who've been there and done that with Labour ministers and Prime Ministers past on how they should attack either of the two candidates. Aisha Hazarika, uh, who's been there and done it, and is, of course, Times Radio's Weekend Drive presenter, joins me on the line now. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Patrick. And John McTurnan, former Director of Commerce, Tony Blair, among other things, joins me as well. Hello, John. Hi. Hi, Patrick. Uh, John, let's start with you. You're, uh, you're putting the big chair again. You're back in number 10. Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, or rather, you're, uh, you're in opposition, rather, sadly. Oh. Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak are facing you. How do you spin a Labour campaign against either of them? Um, first and foremost, you stick the cost of living crisis right on them. Uh, and you say that every single proposal they're making, uh, taking away the green levy, £153, taking away VAT from, uh, from fuel bills, £150, is tiny compared to the challenge of bills going over three and £3,000 uh, £3,200. So you just you stick the economic situation to them and you bring, I think, a tone of mockery, which is, you know, uh, this this couple of candidates are both campaigning against the record of the government they want to continue and that they served in, whether it's Rishi Sunak continuing the economic uh, pa- uh, paradigm or whether it is Liz Truss saying that she'll be a successor to Boris. They want to tie themselves to the previous government and attack the previous government, and yet the public are living with the reality of the previous government, and they'll be living with it all through this year and through next year as well. So I think it's the economics stupid, as uh, Bill Clinton's campaign used to say. Do you agree, Aisha? Yeah, I do agree with um, a, a lot of that. I mean, I think it is really, really 
important and now is absolutely the time to remind people that we have had a Conservative Prime Minister in Downing Street for 12 years now. What the Conservative Party have been very skilled at in the past is sort of shape-shifting and this political reinvention that a new leader comes along and they start from a, a blank sort of sheet of paper, kind of etch a sketch sort of thing. You just sort of shake it and it all it all kind of starts anew. And I think people are beginning to sort of feel, well, actually, no, that's not the, the case. What I would say as well is I think Labour has got to really sharpen up its attack. I think, to be fair, it really has got better as an opposition um, it's got much more punchy in its attack lines, particularly on the cost of living and, of course, on Partygate. But I do agree with what Lord Mandelson said, which is what I think is really lacking from Labour is, as well as the attack, as well as the um, the diagnosis, what is the prescription for Britain as well? You know, how is the Labour Party going to fix Britain, whether it's fixing public services, fixing the health service, fixing living standards, fixing the you know crumbling criminal justice system all of these things you know this is the big talking point around britain right now britain does feel like it's not working whether you're trying mm. to go on holiday whether you're trying to get your driving license the common conversation from hairdressers to school gates to pubs all across the country right now is that things aren't working so keir starmer really has an opportunity to say to the country now this is how I would fix things. And I feel like that's not what we're hearing enough of right now. And they've got to pivot from a pretty good punchy attack to now what is their sort of vision. John, do you think there's a risk, and I've been using this phrase a lot this morning, but it's a very resonant one from Labour's last extended period in opposition. Do you think there's always a risk when a Tory government is falling apart of Labour thinking one more heave, oppositions don't necessarily have to win elections. This government's doing a great job of losing one. Steady as she goes, we'll get over the line regardless. Well, look, I think the, 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 the there's a danger of people believing that an election will fall into the lap because the other guys are so terrible. But I don't think that is true at all of Keir or the people around him or the leadership of the Labour Party, the General Secretary uh, and the organiser of the campaign. Um, and the reason I say that is because we're not a 92 situation mm. uh, looking for one more election to win. Labour had an, a repeat of 1983. Worse than 83, worst, indeed. Um, worse than 83. So, so Keir has done in two years uh, just two years during a pandemic, what it took Neil Kinnock eight years to do. Now, he has, and I agree with Peter and I agree with Aisha on this, he's now got in the next two years to do what John Smith and, uh, and Tony Blair did in five years. And I think normally you'd say in opposition, it's really difficult to hear your voice heard. And normally you'd really hate the election campaign because it allows the Conservative Party to dominate the headlines and for their conversation, their internal conversation, for them to showcase their talent. But I have to say that every debate I've watched so far has been like an hour's party political broadcast uh, on behalf of the Labour Party. The working out in practice and in front of us all of the dislike of each other that the Tory, Tory leadership have and of the, the disdain they have for their own record, their mm. own achievement, their own actions in government. So, yes, Keir has to move on to this, but lean on... on in this last period, he's ditched Labour's dangerous uh, position on Brexit and been absolutely clear we're not going back into the European Union. Uh, he's also committed himself to growth. We've got Rachel out there uh, on the £28 billion a year we're going to be spending on uh, on decarbonising the economy, reindustrializing the country. And, and that couldn't have been out at a better time given that we've seen the climate crisis. So in a sense, you know, 
we've been given an open sheet for our conference. You know, conference has to be about sorting the NHS, tackling climate change. What are we doing on growth? What are we doing about um, genuine, generally equalizing across the regions? Don't, not, let's not use the, uh, the language of the Tories, leveling up. Leveling up is used because you can't measure leveling up. We need to reduce inequality. We need to actually have some measures that we can be held to as a government. So I think, like, I'm looking forward to conference from that point of view because it's the one time the party gets to speak, the Labour Party gets to speak to the country directly. Uh, but like every Labour Party supporter and former strategist, um, I am loving the Tory party leadership campaign. Aisha, if you were Keir Starmer getting up to make your conference speech in September, which Tory leader would you rather be facing in a sentence? Liz Truss oh, or Rishi Sunak? No, no question, Liz Truss. Absolutely. And I've spoken to many Labour strategists right now who kind of feel like all their Christmases have come at once. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of Conservatives are, are, are really, really worried about the future. In fact, just this morning for I you know came on to speak to you a very very senior uh, figure in the conservative party rang me and said Liz Truss is going to win and the labor party is uh, is going to win the next general election there is no question John do you agree no i think Liz Truss is underestimated by everybody her getting into the the, the final two I don't care about Liz she is an action-oriented politician, mm. she is able to distance herself from the from the, from the economic record of Rishi Sunak, um, and she she will be a break and different from Boris, and a break and a different from Rishi. So I think we we actually have to define the government, not the individual. Define the economic record. Define the failing on the NHS, and then absolutely provide the solutions that Aisha has been saying. So I'm not. I, I don't. Oh. Well, John McTernan has been disappeared, I think, by Sakir. So think- oh, you're, you're, you're just back <laughs> on the line, John, but we, we, we caught what you were saying there. Fortunately, that's all we've got time for from your discussion because we've got Richard Holden, the Tory MP for North West Durham, on the line. He's supporting Rishi Sunak. Richard, I don't know if you caught all of that conversation and the rest of our item, but I think it's fair to say Labour, who you won your seat off in 2019, are feeling pretty chipper, pretty confident. Are they right to be? Well, I think you're always going to see a bit of uh, disagreement during a party leadership contest. But I think after that, the party has a habit of coming back together quite clearly and uniting and uh, and fighting to win general elections. So um, if I was if I was Labour, I would be concentrating on what I can do rather than on us at the moment. Rather than knocking you. Why, Richard, is Rishi Sunak the best man to win back the Red Wall and keep hold of seats like yours? Well, I think the truth is uh, that Rishi has been very clear throughout the entire pandemic. And then since then, he's always been there to step up and uh, provide support for uh, families and businesses and constituencies like mine. And the big thing that we had during the pandemic, which is something that obviously Labour never did when uh, they were in office, uh, when there was also tough times uh, during recessions, etc., was that the furlough scheme, which really, uh, I think for a lot of people in uh, northwest Durham, but also across the country. And it saved thousands of jobs in my constituency. Uh, and um, and the support and grants for business also enabled a lot of them to, to get through the pandemic and then come out the other end. And we've also seen since then um, him uh, really putting support for families, particularly those most in need when we've seen these energy uh, bill issues following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And uh, at every stage, when he's 
uh, been presented with the problem. He's come up with a, a sensible and thought-out solution. Um, Short-term uh, or medium-term, so obviously furlough scheme is time-limited. We've had the grants which are uh, there to help him through particular pinch points. And I think today we've seen another uh, sensible uh, policy announcement from him around VAT. With VAT, with uh, energy bills now forecast to rise to up to £3,000, whereas earlier in the year that would a, a, a cutting VAT would have meant a very small reduction for most people. Actually, with those prices rising even further, uh, if that does come to pass, then we'll obviously have a, another sensible policy to help keep cash in people's pockets. But again, these are time-limited for the times of the crisis we're facing. They're not long-term uh, inflationary tax cuts which are baked into the system, uh, which, would, which would also leave a massive long-term hole in the public finances. And I think that's the difference between him and uh, the other candidates in this race. There being is that Rishi's uh, approach is always to deal with the issues ahead of us, but not uh, leave these massive long-term issues uh, in the public finances. And in a word, Richard, just very briefly, the entire discussion I've just had has been predicated on the idea that Keir Starmer can cut through in seats like yours the next general election. Are you picking up any evidence of that, yes or no? Uh, absolutely not. And, the, and genuinely, the best person placed in seats like mine, and I've, I've done a poll in my own constituency, and <clears throat> of both my, I've spoken to a lot of my members, as well as speaking to the broader electorate. The person they think is best placed, and this is borne out by that Dale polling evidence uh, earlier in the month, to, to hold our seats, uh, not just in the, against Labour in the north, but also against the Lib Dems in the south, uh, and against the SNP in Scotland is Rishi Sunak. And that's why you know, Scottish Conservatives are backing him. It's why he's got the majority, he's got the biggest support amongst MPs across the country, because he is the person who will help us defeat Labour in the next general election. That's all we've got time for on today's edition of the Red Box Politics Podcast. You've got me, Patrick McGuire, until the end of next week. Tomorrow we'll be talking about how the Tory leadership race is going down in Scotland. In the meantime, follow us wherever you get your pods.